How are you feeling? You look like you've been inhaling. <laughs> I feel like I've been inhaling fumes. I'm sorry. I'm, so I've talked about this for a long time, but I'm finally redoing my pod closet and am painting, which is a wonderful and very rewarding transformation but it's very fresh in there <laughs> it's a pod closet it's like very small no circulation and i've been painting in there and it's fine if i leave but then we were going to record this thing and i was just outside of it the doors the windows have still been closed <laughs> which is partially my stupid fault but anyway so it was just getting a little bit i don't know toxic toxic <laughs> yes yeah, I don't, I'm not an expert in this area, but I feel like locking yourself in a walk-in closet-sized space that's got fresh The door paint. was open. <laughs> Everything was open. I wasn't actually trying to record in the closet. Oh, I was going to be recording in the room. I see. That was just outside of the closet. Okay, thank but you. <laughs> I should have had those windows open during the day to let things air out. I needed but. that. I needed that context. I have no tolerance for this anymore, for smells and sounds. And oh my gosh, it's just like wild. I was out in the boonies on Saturday doing my silent retreat. <gasps> That's right. <laughs> Which I will, I can talk a little bit about if you want. But I want. there were these periods we would take breaks for 20 to 30 minutes, we would be outside. Did you, can you go outside and scream? No, no screaming. Is that kind of break? No, it's oh, not no, just like, okay. <laughs> no, actually, that'll be your favorite part of the description of my day. You're going to be so happy to hear about this. Can't wait. There were insects outside, including mosquitoes, like those horrible little tiger mosquitoes that you can't see. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And so I realized at one point I was getting little bites and they had some of the quote natural off for us to use. That stuff does not work. And I just... I'm here to tell you. Yeah, no. I Actually, nothing works for me, so it's, there's no point. And I, I just oh. I should have remembered that, but in the moment I was like, well, I'd really like to spend more time outside. So I sprayed myself with it, and then I was so bothered by the scent on my own skin that I had to put my sweater on <laughs> to try to mask the smell of my arms. And it was warm. It was like 85 degrees. <laughs> it was a comedy of errors, of course, doing all this while not speaking or making any audible noises. It's <laughs> <laughs> as peacefully and quietly as I can being bothered by the smell of off on my skin. <laughs> How zen can you be when you're being like, that was probably part of the experience. Of <laughs> yes. Welcome to the Viola-centric podcast. We are two curious violists finding inspiration through authentic and challenging conversations in the professional music world. I'm Liz. And I'm Steph. Let's jump in the deep end. So uh, all joking aside, I actually think it's it's such a crazy, wonderful experience because, you know, mindfulness is like a regular practice of mine. I do it alone, mostly. I've done these retreats like three times. And the first time I went, I remember just thinking it was phenomenal because I'm a really sympathetic communicator with people in general. So I talk to everybody I bump into on the street. I smile. You know, my 7-Eleven guys like know me by name. <laughs> we always have <laughs> conversations about their lives when I walk in. And Liz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I love. I love that about me. I love that about life. But sometimes you just need a break. And when you go out to these things, um, it depends on who's running it. But often they kind of 
instruct you, not only do you hold silence for the whole day, but you also just refrain from making eye contact or, you know, just like interacting with people non-verbally. And I loved the release of the pressure to even just look at someone and be sympathetic in that way. Yeah. Uh Loved it. So this time around, it was packed. It was just like the most people I'd ever done it with before. And a lot of new people, which is incredible. But I will say that There was some weird resistance that came up like in the middle of the day for me. I actually felt myself like with this urge to leave during one of the guided meditations and sat with it because that's actually a good practice. But the funniest thing that I think you will appreciate is that we'll do a silent period of 25 to 30 minutes and then there's a walking break and then there's a guided talk or a meditation or some kind and then there's another walking break and there's lunch which you can have outside and lunch is also silent you just find a place put down a blanket eat your lunch alone total quiet and peace it's so lovely but the walking meditations they're still a form of meditation and basically you learn to be incredibly mindful of every movement of your foot from the back to the front on the ground and you walk really slowly and you only do maybe five or six paces before you kind of pause and then you do a little bit of just meditation in a standing place but everybody in the retreat is instructed to do this and there's like 200 people in this tiny little town and so everybody is instructed to leave the church and everyone's just pacing around outside outside there are cars you know driving by and like waiting for people to cross the street and then it's just like i don't know it must look like it's something out of a zombie apocalypse i was gonna say zombies <laughs> like a bunch of zombies i can't help Go five I paces can... and then while looking down not making eye contact with <laughs> and they're just standing totally still oh my god <laughs> facing different directions you know and i can't help but find the humor in it i'm pretty good at being in the zone during those times because actually i love being in nature and i think that's one of the easiest ways to be mindful but it was an interesting it was an interesting experience. A lot came up. The funny thing, and anybody who's ever been on one can probably relate, is that you do spend the entire day in silence. You're not communicating at all with anybody, and yet you still feel this energy, like everybody's there. It doesn't feel all that different. It's just that you haven't used your voice. And so I broke the silence with a good friend on the way home and started talking, and I was like, oh, it's just weird to hear myself use my voice. But some people will go for like eight days, 10 days. It's wild to think about. I don't know. I could probably do that. (laughs) I don't think I would have a problem. Yeah. At a silent retreat. I'd be curious because there's another friend of ours who spends a lot of time in silence. They just, they live alone and uh, Mm. practice a lot of meditation and very happily. But for some reason, when they go on the retreat, experience a lot of resistance. Like, don't mm. want to be there, kind of feel this urge to leave. It's it's really, it brings up things. Yeah. So how are Sounds you doing nice. besides inhaling paint fumes? Well, I feel better already. Yay. I hung out with my mom a little bit oh. on Saturday. It was her birthday. Happy birthday, mom. Is, yeah, it was nice to be with her. And yeah, just like the kids are home from, from school. School is over. So finding ways to keep them busy and not on their devices all the time is a level of parenting that is different. Mm-hmm. When you get used to having them in school, you're like, okay, I don't have to worry about them. I know that they're going to be going to PE or going to art class or going to music class or whatever. So I feel a lot of pressure when they're home to make sure that they are not devolving into couch potatoes and yeah so there's that and yeah when did they finish up they finished on thursday okay it's fresh so yeah yeah it's fresh (laughs) but yeah 
it's nice to be heading into summer. Yeah. Getting ready for vacations and stuff. So that's right. You're taking a vacation. I know. I'm actually going out of the country. I'm so excited for you. We're going to Bonaire, which is in the Southern Caribbean, because my in laws are really into scuba diving and they really want their grandkids to be into scuba diving. <laughs> <laughs> my girls are excited about it. Good. Um, I have no desire to scuba dive whatsoever. <laughs> We've talked about this. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. There's enough on this green earth on the surface for me. And um, what about it is the turnoff point? Do you think? Uh, claustrophobia mm-hmm. of yeah. having to breathe a certain way underwater. And if you F that up, then that's it. <laughs> If you F that up, you die. <laughs> I don't, I feel like maybe there's a couple fail safes in between, but, but, but yeah, like for there all are, but in my mind, in my mind, that's just the way it is. But I have a feeling, I, I've never really been into the idea, yeah. but I have a feeling that, you know, since my accident, mm, um, yeah, a few years ago, that the prospect of being underwater without an escape, and I know that's not really true, but it's just kind of like, yeah. Weirds me out. I think that's a really natural trauma response to something very intense that happened yeah. in your life. And, you know, not every experience is for every person. Yeah. I have no desire to ever jump out of a plane. Oh, yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. No. I have friends who do like instruct skydiving, like they know how to do it themselves. No, no thank you. There's just, no. there's nothing, there's nothing anyone, I don't think anyone could ever do. Get me to, to jump out you. of a plane. No. No. No, not I don't happening. Think so. But to okay, to come back to amazing vacation you're gonna have. How many days are you gone? A week. It's so oh, you're gonna feel so good by the end. You're gonna just be like, What's real life yeah. anyway? I need some perspective. It's gonna be so great. For sure. Are yeah. you staying in like a resort type situation or Yeah, it's like you rent an apartment like condo that has like a kitchenette. There's like food and stuff at the resort. Yeah. It's at a dive resort. Cool. And then surrounded by like palm trees and blue water and sunshine. Yeah, it's a small island that has, I guess it's like pretty beachy for most of it. Not a whole lot of like rainforest or tropical areas. I don't honestly, I have no idea. Uh, All I know is there's like a donkey farm. uh, (laughs) You can go see donkeys. Well, that'll be lovely. I'm sure there are other things to see there. But yeah, Yeah. look forward to my Instagram just populated with pictures of donkeys. (laughs) I I am going to live for it. Yeah, I'm going to live vicariously through your trip. (laughs) Donkey Graham. And seeing the girls scuba diving. That's going to be cool. They're going to have underwater (sighs) cams and stuff. I don't know. My father-in-law definitely has that stuff. He'll be taking pictures of them. Yeah, it'll be fun. Just really nice to get away. Definitely. Our season is winding down. I know. This is our last guest episode of the year. I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. We've got one more, you know, bonus episode for you. We wouldn't leave you hanging with Mozart in the jungle, but... Oh, no. Yeah, and that's a special one as well. I guess um, that's the official finale of the season, but this is a good one. Yes. This is a great one. So we talked with Alice Ping, who's a violist and freelancer out of L- based out of LA. And Alice is, oh my gosh, just such a lovely human being. We had the best conversation with her. And she's just such a refreshing voice in freelancing mm-hmm. because she is just very vulnerable and open about struggling with these autoimmune conditions that she has. She shared so much about what life is like for her, the terror of being diagnosed and not actually not knowing what was going on for a long time. And gosh, she's just like a very well-adjusted and thoughtful 
person. Yes. And I think a lot about those invisible struggles that people face with their health. And I think it's so special to have someone who can be an ambassador to people who have that struggle in their lives. I shared that I actually have some friends personally who have struggled with similar illnesses that Alice struggles with. And they've talked very openly about sort of feeling this frustration that they go through these things, but it's impossible to see. And I think Alice just does such a great job of being absolutely transparent, even about things like rectal foam, which we didn't know even existed until we met Alice. I know. (laughs) So if you're interested in butt butt stuff, this is the episode for you. (laughs) Plenty of butt stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But it's so great to talk transparently about those kinds of things. You know, it's it just like normalizes something else that people go through. And I just felt so much empathy, you know, just considering how that might be to live the kind of gig life that we live and be struggling with those sorts of things. And she's just really risen above all of that and is carving out this beautiful career for herself and really just expressing her authentic voice out in the world in a way that we haven't seen anybody else do. It's just totally her. So I love that. Yeah. We wanted to be friends with her. Yeah. I hope we are. I think we are. (laughs) Alice, we want to be friends. (laughs) Are we your friend? Call us. Anyway, so enjoy this conversation with our new friend, Alice Ping. And we'll see you in season four. Being freelance musicians means gigging in lots of different places with very unpredictable lighting situations. Oh my gosh, yes. How many times have you shown up to a church gig and wondered if you'll actually be able to see the music by showtime? Many times. Or it's a cocktail hour in a restaurant with ambient mood lighting at best. (laughs) We've all been there and have used those alien looking bendy lights that only light up the top of the page so that by the bottom of the music, you're sometimes just guessing or maybe we'll call it being creative. We didn't know it at the time, but the Aria lights could have saved us lots of eye strain and unplanned improvisation. Yes, and with a rechargeable battery that lasts eight hours, you'll never have to carry backup double A's in your case. You'll just charge it up at home and take the Aria light to your gig. The battery will even hold a charge for years between uses, not that you would go that long. Thank you so much to Aria Lights for their support this season. Please check them out at ariolights.com. Located in a historic mansion in Tacoma Park, Maryland, you might get the impression that the team at Potter Violins are as formal as the breathtaking building that they work in. But when you go inside, instead you'll find the most relatable, skilled, and friendly staff. Yes, the people at Potter's are what really make it a special place. I love visiting because I know that whoever I work with is not going to make me feel like I'm crazy or just being picky. They're kind of like your favorite bartender. They're great listeners who give you what you need without judgment. (laughs) Yes, their technicians are not only super talented, creative, and resourceful, they take the time to collaborate with you so that the process of getting your instrument at its best really feels like a partnership. So if you're in the area, definitely stop by and introduce yourself to Chris, Rob, Kimberly, Derek, Jim, Melissa and the whole team or visit potterviolins.com to find what you need online. It's so fitting then that their shop is in this beautiful old house because the staff at Potter's really makes it feel like home. 
Season three is sponsored by the Arkrest. You know, Liz and I are always being asked about our Arkrests, and we're happy to share how much we love them. The freedom of movement has been life-changing for me. Me too. And I love how using the Arkrest allows my instrument to vibrate fully. And depending on how my body's feeling, I can also change the placement of the bass. Although Aaron and Tigran started the company in their home workshop, they've come a long way, continuing to innovate by experimenting with harder and softer woods and even new materials like fiberglass. There are bases for violin, viola, and even for small fractional instruments. And there are foam pads of different thicknesses, so you can find one that fits your body or instrument perfectly. And the guys over at Arkrest are sharing a special discount code for our listeners. Use the code VIOLACENTRIC for 10% off anything on their site. Yes, check out their offerings at thearkrest.com. That's T-H-E-A-R-C-R-E-S-T.com. And don't forget to use the code VIOLACENTRIC. Our guest today is violist Alice Ping. Based in Los Angeles, Alice makes her career as a freelancer and teacher, performing with a wide variety of musical acts live, in session recordings, and notably as one of the talented string musicians on NBC's The Voice. Alice is not only an accomplished and hardworking musician, but she does it all while living with not one but two chronic illnesses. She's very open and vulnerable about her treatments, about the incessant monitoring and the daily life of somebody dealing with these invisible diseases. So Alice, Liz and I have been following your experiences and we're so thrilled to have you on the podcast and to dive into the good, the bad and the ugly with you today. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. (laughs) Thanks for your time. We know you're a busy freelancer out there. So we're just absolutely thrilled. And I think the logical place for us to start is you have to fill us in on what everybody is probably wondering. What's it like to play on The Voice? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's one of my cooler jobs, I have to say. It's the only show I've ever worked on. And I grew up in the industry. My, my parents are both in television. So I grew up on sets a lot. And it's the only show I've ever been on, I've ever been to that puts a lot of care into the background performers. So yeah, I always notice you guys are always like all decked out and yeah. whatever the theme is. Yeah, there's like an incredible wardrobe team and then a glam squad with hair and makeup people. And we get there like the day of the shoot. And we're there all morning getting full glam, full hair and makeup. And and most shows, if you're a background performer on them, they're like, come camera ready and we're all black. So (laughs) this is a fun one. And yeah, it's just, it's one of those jobs where I'm sitting there going, how am I, like, how am I getting paid to do this? (laughs) This is my life right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But what's great for the voice is we pre-record tracks for the performances. So the sounds that you're hearing, the strings in that is actually all of us, which isn't always the case in Hollywood. Sometimes you do things like sidelining where you'll just, you know, mime to tracks, but it's not even your track that you're (laughs) playing with. So the voice is really great about making sure that our sound is our sound. So we'll we'll pre-record that because the shows are live and they don't want any mistakes to happen. That's usually on a separate day. And then we'll come in really early the day of the show, of the live show, and we'll get our full hair and makeup, do a rehearsal, break for dinner, and then the shows usually start taping live to go to the East Coast. I think it's 5 p.m., maybe 4 p.m. And it depends on the week. It's usually just the finales that the strings are on. 
And so sometimes right. we're in multiple numbers and we have to do quick changes backstage or change instruments. They'll give us like, recently I, I played with Chance the Rapper a couple weeks ago and they gave us these like white spray painted instruments to play. Oh my God, <laughs> that's cool. So you recorded it on your own instrument. Yes, yeah. And yeah. then you just perform with the... Yes. And and uh, sometimes I have like my beater props. viola that I bring out just because it's usually there's fog and we're usually in mm. very high heels and it's slippery and it's dark. <laughs> and they're like, you've got 20 seconds to get in place. Go, go, go. You know, and you're like <laughs> running up there. Um, and so at a certain point, I was like, I probably shouldn't be using my actual viola for this. <laughs> wild. Yeah. That's so wild. Yeah. It, it's comforting in a way to know that it's just like everywhere else, you know, it's it's just a freelancing connections. Yep. And you just happen to be located in a place where all these cool jobs are happening. Yeah. So how long did you live in LA as a child? I mean, I completely grew up you here. You grew up I here? Born okay. here, yeah. Yeah, and then Amazing. I, I went away for school and then came back. And then came back. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I love to listen to Conan's podcast. Shout out Conan. <laughs> but I love hearing the guests that talk about growing up in LA because you don't hear about people who grow up yeah. there. It's like a mm. totally different. I yeah. don't know. It's just like informs your life in a way that I feel like nowhere else could. Sure. Well, and you're going to love this, but my dad was a camera operator on Conan for ah! 12 years. That's so funny. I came to the show several times, played on the show a couple times actually too. And Okay, <laughs> now we have to find a way to put Conan in the algorithms. And he'll yes. Be like, oh, right. I yeah. remember meeting Alice back I'm in the day. I'm sure he does. I'm sure. He'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, be our in. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll ask him. We'll mention your name. <laughs> drop, name drop all you want. It gets you, it gets you very far. <laughs> That's so good. So you mentioned that you grew up in the industry. What brought you into classical music? How did you get introduced to that? That's, I mean, that's a good question because nobody in my family has any classical background at all. My dad's a wonderful guitar player and singer. So he's a great musician, but never did it professionally. And so I think it was like third grade, I got a flyer in my mailbox at school that was for violin lessons. It was like an advertisement. And I brought it home to my dad and I was like, dad, the violin is the most beautiful instrument in the world. I have to play, can I please take lessons? And he was like, mm. <laughs> we have all these guitars already and a piano and you love to sing so you can accompany yourself on those instruments. Why don't, why don't we take guitar lessons or something? You know, and I was like, no. Dad, <laughs> it has to be violin. So with oh. some convincing, I think it didn't take very long. He called up that flyer number. And I feel like in my memory, I immediately started violin lessons. I don't know. I guess it just called to me. Hmm. And in middle school, my teacher was like, you know, I think you would have more success if you switched to viola. <laughs> Classic. So I'm not a, I'm not a purebred violist, but pretty much the moment I switched, it was like a light switched, and I suddenly became very focused and dedicated, mm. and it just was my instrument. Oh. You know, violin was not was not mine. So yeah, I kind of I never looked back really after that switch. That's awesome. You know, you're very open about your autoimmune challenges in your life. And we were curious to know, before you were dealing with these issues, before you experienced your first big flare-ups, how did you envision your life as a musician? Uh, what was a successful career to you? And, and what were some of your dreams? And I guess leading into this, how has that shifted for you since this started to become more of a presence in your life? 
That's such a well-crafted question. It's kind of interesting how like, when I imagine my future, cause I feel like I'm still building it. I finished grad school in 2018, moved back to LA, just started building like my freelance career, had a good like year, year and a half, and then COVID hit. So it feels like I'm like this last year has really been like rebuilding a foundation. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like very behind, <laughs> which, mm. you know, at least we were all in it together, but it did delay yes. some things. So I feel like I'm still dreaming up things, but I've talked about how I can't clearly picture what my dream job is. And that makes me think that maybe I'm already doing it, if that makes sense. Like if I can't imagine what it is, then maybe it's already happening. But I think the moment that I started imagining my life as a professional musician was when I switched to viola. Something about that change and that refocusing, it was like, what else am I gonna do? You know, I'm going to this arts high school, we have orchestra twice a week, string ensemble, chamber music in the afternoons, I'm taking theory courses and orchestration classes in 11th grade. Obviously I'm gonna major in this in college and then I'm just gonna be a musician and it's gonna be great. <laughs> And I think because my parents are in the entertainment industry and I grew up with two freelancers as role models, the concept of freelancing and doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that was always going to be what I did. Oh, that's so interesting. I love it. Yeah. I feel like we talk, we talk so much to musicians and we ourselves, when we were having this experience of being in school, so much of it is geared towards you're going to take auditions and you're going to be in an orchestra. Right. But it sounds like you were already on the freelancer train a lot earlier because you'd seen your parents. Right as role yeah. models doing exactly that. Right. That's so interesting. Well, and I mean, and like, like you just said, college and grad school, like did not at all prepare me for being a freelancer or an entrepreneur at all. But I think because I always knew like, I'm gonna come back to LA and I'm gonna freelance. I knew that that's what was gonna happen. Now, the interesting point and the thing you sort of alluded to in your question is when I was officially diagnosed with my autoimmune diseases and started experiencing a lot of health problems, predominantly during COVID were, were the worst of my flare-ups. Um, it must've been so scary. Yeah. yeah, it was a scary. Uh, isolating it was, too, yeah. Yeah, well, and like you, you were saying that you know so many people with these invisible illnesses, This the last three years have really made those people more visible because you realize like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were high risk or I didn't know, you know, it, it was very revealing. Mm -hmm. But I sort of realized that for me, stress is the number one trigger for my diseases to really act up. And freelancing is a very stressful lifestyle. I don't do well with not knowing what's happening next. So my focus has shifted a little bit to finding more of a balance of some stability and freelancing for my like creative enjoyment. And so as of late, I've been kind of trying to figure out, okay, how do I get some more stability? Maybe that's doing some other types of work <laughs> that aren't music related or doing some part-time orchestra stuff. And so my focus has definitely shifted a little bit since my health problems have become more of a... So can you tell our audience exactly what your immune issues are? Sure, yeah. So I have um, a disease called undifferentiated connective tissue disease, which is this sort of blanket diagnosis that covers elements of lupus, scleroderma, and rheumatoid arthritis. That's manifested mm. in a bunch, <clears throat> excuse me, a bunch of really bizarre ways for me, which I'm happy to go into detail about. I have absolutely no issues going into all the 
the gory details. And then the other one is ulcerative colitis, which is a form of inflammatory bowel disease in the same family as Crohn's disease. And that one has really taken up kind of the most focus in just my day-to-day life. What was the journey like to get diagnosed? Because I know for a lot of these types of struggles, it's in actually getting to the point where someone can identify that this is probably what's going on and then really being recognized in that way too. Did you have Mm -hmm. trouble with that? And what was that part of the journey like for you? Yeah, so really long. I will say my gastrointestinal symptoms started way back when I was in high school. I really noticed them my senior year when I was starting to take college auditions and traveling. I just was having like diarrhea multiple times a day. And I was like, hmm, I don't like, I don't know if that's normal, but I'm nervous Mm -hmm. and I'm stressed. And it was actually interesting. I went to a gastroenterologist for, I want to say like a couple years. And he kind of kept telling me like, it's, it's IBS, take some fiber, take some probiotics, never did any diagnostic testing. You know, I may have done like a stool sample here and there, but basically was just telling me, don't worry about it. This is what it is. You're fine. Which is a little medical gaslighty. Yeah. Which is a huge problem with diagnosing autoimmune conditions, particularly in women, particularly Mm -hmm. in young women, particularly when your medical provider is a man. Yep. Um, (laughs) Agreed, agreed, agreed. (laughs) But anyway, moving on from that. So I got to college. I started school. I went to the University of Texas in Austin and and got my viola performance degree there. And it was still an issue. It was still like, okay, this is not really going away. I guess this is just me. Like, I guess I have IBS and this is, you know, this is what it is. So I got through college and then got through grad school auditions and ended up moving to New York to go to Juilliard for my master's. And two weeks into the semester, I was having incredible back and chest pain to the point where like I couldn't breathe. Like it felt like a like a letter opener was like being jammed underneath my left side in my back. Oh my goodness. And I was like, that's. I thought it was a playing injury. I just, I had won a concerto competition in the spring. Like I had been playing all summer, but at a certain point it was like, all right, this is not this is not that. So I ended up having to go take an Uber to the emergency room on the Upper East Side and had some tests done. Long story short, they admitted me and it turned out that I had, I think it was almost two liters of fluid in my chest cavity and my lungs were so inflamed, they were pressed up against my rib cage so they couldn't expand when I was breathing. So they're basically like, breathe, hit bone. Mm. And that's super painful. So, you know, it took like several days. They had to drain the fluid and test it and figure out like, is is this cancer? Is this something worse? Like it was a very scary couple of days. And then ultimately at the end of it, they were like, well, you have, it's called an ANA is the blood test. You have this high ANA marking. I think it's like anti-nucleic antibodies or something. And that's a marker of some sort of rheumatological issue, autoimmune disease. So they were like, you have high ANA you obviously have some autoimmune problems, but we don't know what. You should go mm-hmm. see a rheumatologist. I was like, great. So went and did that. She was still like, don't really know. But at her office, I asked her, by the way, I have diarrhea like three or four times a day. Is that normal? <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so also let's send you to a gastroenterologist. So this is all happening like right when I've started grad school. Oh, and oh that whole first semester was like, basically a wash because I missed my seating audition for orchestra because I was in the hospital. So I was just like placed in it. I mean, it was, it was 
such a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> I barely could play and really got through that first year, barely had my first colonoscopy in the spring. And at that point was still not diagnosed with anything. She basically was like, you have inflammation at the microscopic level in your colon, but that's all we can see for now. And I was like, great, okay. So get through grad school with a whole host of other weird flare-ups and move back to LA and find a rheumatologist in LA because I was still having stuff. I didn't feel good. My face just would swell up for no reason and my eyes were like almost closed and I was still having diarrhea. And then I started having bloody diarrhea and it was just like really bad. So I finally saw a rheumatologist who is still my doctor and she's incredible. She was able to diagnose me with the undifferentiated connective tissue disease. Started getting treated for that. Thankfully, that's kind of been in remission since, which is amazing. The ulcerative colitis, on the other hand, took another several years to be fully diagnosed. And unfortunately, it wasn't fully diagnosable until it was like full-blown and active. And for those who don't know, ulcerative colitis is basically like the ulceration of the colon and the lining of the colon. And so it just causes a lot of problems. And I have like very clear memories of sitting in rehearsals or concerts and having to like unbutton my pants because my stomach was so bloated. And I was like, God, this is miserable. This is like, something is not right. This is not IBS. You know, this is a mm -hmm. problem. So ultimately I would say like the full journey to being diagnosed with my IBD was almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, wow. from when, when things were really starting in high school to when I finally got diagnosed. So the sad thing is I don't think I'm alone in that, especially with the more ambiguous like connective tissue conditions and things like that. There's so many autoimmune diseases and the crazy thing about them is that they present differently in people who have the same illness and the symptoms can be different and the the way you respond to medications is different. It's just really complicated. But, you know, if anybody's listening to this and is struggling with health issues, I think the number one thing is, is finding a doctor and a medical team that you trust and that you can be honest with and that will fight for you. And I wish that was easy to find, but you have to be your own advocate in it and you have to find, it's like finding a therapist. You have to search and sometimes health insurance is a bitch and doesn't allow you to do that. But if you have the opportunity to, you got to find a good care team because otherwise the whole thing is going to take 10 years and it's potentially going to cause more damage because you don't know what's happening. Right. Right. So, and there's, there's the physical side of that struggle, but then yeah. there's almost a, a bigger emotional struggle that you're going through. Like, are people believing me? Like right. you said yourself, it's it's invisible from the outside. Right. You can look at you and you look like a perfectly healthy young woman. And we know that you're suffering with something. It must be just very challenging to be about in the world. I feel like you have this secret, this like yeah. thing. Well, and it is, I mean, more so now, like after COVID, I'm still not comfortable being out in large spaces without masking. I have to get monthly infusion treatments to manage my ulcerative colitis of an immunosuppressive drug called Remicade. And mm -hmm. I can't get those infusions if I'm sick with anything, like they have to postpone them. So if I'm sick with COVID or anything else, my treatment for a disease that's 
pretty intense, gets delayed. If I get sick after the infusions, I could get more sick than I would at another time where it's not as close to the infusion. So it's just, right. it's really tricky. It's really tricky being like a high risk immunocompromised person in this time. But at the same time, I also know that everybody has something, even if it's not exactly what I have, whether it's a physical illness, a mental illness, something going on at home. Like I think the last three years have really showed me that we all have stuff and <laughs> I'm just a little bit more open about my stuff. <laughs> yeah. I also, there's another piece of that, I guess, relatively invisible struggle. And I'm curious, you strike me and I think Stephanie as well as someone who's pretty obviously you're very transparent about what you're going through and maybe empowered because you are transparent about that but mm. I'm thinking about what it must feel like at least at first especially to have to miss school to have to be set back to not be able to take your seating auditions school alone in gigs if you're yeah. having health issues having to miss out on a job that you really wanted to do for those of us that are in the freelance world and really prize what we're able to do with our careers we don't want to miss work for anything you know mm -hmm. we don't want to miss those opportunities and i can imagine for some musicians a lot of fear of having to say no and yeah. worrying that what the perception is on the other side and things. And I'm curious if you have done some work through those kinds of issues, if you've experienced those kinds of fears and stressors and how you've managed them. I mean, absolutely. I always worry about my openness, especially on the internet being a bad thing in some ways, potentially affecting future jobs because people don't want to hire somebody who's potentially unreliable based on their health. But ultimately, I have decided that it is more important for me to be open and share my experience and help other people who maybe aren't as comfortable with it than work with people who would not hire me because of it. Mm. And that's a lot easier said than done. Ultimately, if I missed out on something because someone didn't want to hire me because of whatever, I would be really upset about it. But thankfully, I don't know that most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> And again, like sharing about my health problems was a way for me to cope with them and process through them publicly, helped me process through them privately. And so sharing these things is just really important to me. And it makes me feel like there's a reason that they've happened to me. And the reason yeah. I'm going through this is so that someone else, you know, can watch one of the videos I have on YouTube and understand how to use steroid rectal foam because their doctor didn't tell them and the little instruction packet doesn't show you, you know, like <laughs> there's stuff that I had to figure out on my own. And if I can make that information a little bit more accessible to people, especially mm -hmm. young people, then it doesn't matter to me whether I miss out on gigs or not. Gosh, I just love that well, so much. It, it's so clear too. If you go anywhere on your Instagram, anywhere on your YouTube <laughs> channel, in the comments are people that are actually writing a comment saying thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this with me because I was too afraid to ask. Yeah. yeah. And that's just a fraction of the people who actually would sit down and write a comment. So the impact is probably way way wider than we see there. So, I mean, 
I hope so. You're doing it. I, I think that, yeah, for sure. If it's just one person, right? Absolutely. I'm sure that's what you would say. I think the that any time that you're willing to share something vulnerable where many people can respond with me too. Oh my gosh, me too. I go yeah. through that too. You are saying a thing and I recognize it in myself and that makes me feel so much better. That's such a special yeah. gift to be willing to give to the world and yeah I try to be as honest and vulnerable on the internet as I possibly can be because otherwise I don't feel real and I just feel like especially now I think people are craving honesty more and we're, we're getting especially with things like TikTok and we're getting away from like the curated perfection that we are so used to seeing on Instagram and I think people are really wanting to see more of the reality both in music and in other ways and in other subjects so um, that's what I really try to do otherwise it just doesn't feel like me you know yeah. When I started my YouTube channel, it's called Chronically Musical. It was during COVID. I was just coming out of a huge ulcerative colitis flare up. I was on a bunch of steroids to try and just like manage it. And I didn't have any performances going on because we had no concerts. I took a massive break from my instrument. Like I just put it away and didn't play it for a long time. And so I was actively seeking out other ways to be creative and to like make things but I knew that I wanted to start a YouTube channel but I knew that I couldn't just focus on autoimmune disease and I couldn't just focus on music because those are both equal parts of my life and my day-to-day -day existence so it's like two sub niches in one on that <laughs> yes. channel but I do really hope that like I can get people from both sides watching either the videos that only pertain to them or watching all of them and learning about things that they would have otherwise never learned about that's so great what does healthy <clears throat> maintenance of these autoimmune diseases look like for you on a regular basis? You've mentioned there are actually appointments you attend on a regular basis to receive infusions. You yes. have treatments at home. Mm -hmm. You mentioned stress management. If there are people listening to us today that have never heard any of your information shared before, what else does management look like for when right. you're feeling your best? What's all, what all's going right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First, I will say for me, Western medicine and medications has helped put me in remission. That is not the case for everybody. Everything that I do may not work for any other person. And sure. I am sure. not a medical professional. So all of this is just coming from my own personal experience and That's a the good years. disclaimer. Yeah. So I owe a lot of it to medications that I take. I have an oral medication that I take as well as a rectal medication that I just, they're called maintenance drugs. I will probably take those for the rest of my life for my ulcerative colitis. And then I also get my monthly infusion treatments. If I'm actively in a flare, I have other medications that I implement, steroid, rectal, foam, oral steroids, things like that. And then I also take another drug for my undifferentiated connective tissue disease. And that's also like a maintenance thing. So those are kind of baseline what I do. The other side of managing my illnesses is kind of related to drastic lifestyle change. And I started making those changes when I was first diagnosed with UC and I just kind of realized like, okay, I have to be strong because my body is actively attacking itself at all times mm. and that's exhausting. So I need to make sure that I can do that and that I can be strong enough for those moments where I'm not going to be able to exercise or do anything except lay down, you know? So I need to like, when I'm feeling good, I got to take care of my body. So I got really into fitness. I started with yoga. I had no exercising background 
at all. But I started really slow with 10 minutes of yoga two days a week. And then I slowly increased it. And then I started doing strength training. And then I realized that my chronic lung problems and back pain as a result of that connective tissue disorder that I deal with every day, it hurts less when I use my lungs more. So mm, cardio, mm, yeah. I yeah. start getting my heart rate up and like breathing. And so now fitness has become an incredibly important way to not only manage my physical symptoms, but also the mental ones because stress is a trigger for me. Exercising and doing some kind of movement on a daily basis really helps keep that mental part in check. I'm also pretty careful about my diet. I did a lot of different elimination diets when I was first diagnosed. For me, it's gluten and corn are the two that trigger my gastrointestinal problems. And then alcohol and sugar basically kind of hurt everything else. (laughs) So I worked through my diet. I worked with a nutritionist and then I try and do meditation when I'm in moments of high stress, particularly when I'm preparing for orchestra auditions or something like that. So all of those together are kind of like my daily management. of my health issues. And I was super interested to hear you say that you're still taking auditions and stress is such a huge trigger of your your illnesses. What have you changed career-wise to help you manage your conditions? So the, the crazy thing about it is that, yes, the auditions, like orchestra auditions, the most stressful thing I do by far. Yeah. But ultimately audition prep the, the thing that I've discovered that works for me the most is just playing for as many people as possible mm-hmm. and giving myself as much time as I can get to prepare so that I'm not rushing as like a procrastinator. It's very hard for me to do that, but I'm also a project oriented person. So if I sign up for it, then I'm like, okay, I've got, huh. I've got External two and a half motivation. months, like, let's go. Um, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> Liz feels attacked. <laughs> oh no, I'm an external <laughs> motivator myself. I yeah. But yeah, I mean, I have like little pre-audition day like routines. I take a bath. I listen to like ambient meditation music. I only listen to that the day of the audition. I bring nice. headphones so like people are playing around you, and I'm just listening to like this. <laughs> you mean you mean you don't put Don Juan on repeat no. in your headphones? <laughs> Noise canceling headphones. Warm up room. <laughs> nope. No, I do not. I'm like if it's not if it's not happening by now, it's not gonna happen. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But these are things that we only know are true after we go through it enough yeah. to be like, this is the reality of the situation. And, yeah. and we hear it all through our lives, but you've got to get to that point mentally too. To Well, and you know, okay, so I'm just this is kind of a sidebar, but it's sort of related. It's a beta blockers comment because I grew up knowing about them and was always like, this is such a taboo subject in the music world. And I know so many people who take them, but like, we're not allowed to talk about them because it's like performance enhancement or something and it got to a certain point where I was like this is stressful enough if I can take like this half of a half of a pill and feel a little better and play at the level that I'm capable of playing and it's going to reduce my stress in the moment I'm gonna do that it's such an interesting (laughs) sidebar to talk about although you know we're talking about western medicine and things that can be that can have a positive effect on the various things we do in our lives and it's interesting I'm almost looking forward to the opportunity for me to experiment with this stuff because there hasn't been an audition since the pandemic that I've had any desire to take. 
Yeah. And I have a few on the horizon that are like, maybe they're going to open up. And if so, I'll kind yeah. of go down this road of giving it a shot again. I took beta blockers too. And it's like yeah. nothing to be ashamed about. I think the majority of musicians who take auditions honestly take beta blockers. So yeah. let's just get it out there in the open. I, I totally um, agree. Such a normal thing. Yeah. And again, no judgment either way. To be honest, I'm going to experiment with them because I had so much internal mental and emotional trauma responses going on that beta blockers actually didn't solve my problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I felt calmer physically, but like mentally, I was still all over the place and it sure. doesn't solve that problem. No, it so, doesn't at all. <laughs> I'm really curious to see because I also had a late in life diagnosis of ADHD and I now take Adderall and I don't take it every day for various reasons, but I do mm-hmm. take it symptomatically or, or if I really feel like I need to buckle down and be organized about some things. And I've noticed it really changes the way I play. It changes yeah, the way I, I interact with people. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe that is what I need <laughs> in that moment. As how does it change to... how you play? Well, I it, haven't heard this. I'm able to like focus more targeted on like specifics, like my sound quality Um, how I'm moving in a certain direction, as opposed to when I don't take it. And my experience with it has been, and I know, again, everyone's experience is different. It really reduces my emotional awareness and my awareness of like intuitively of what's happening around me. And I think it's because it gives you this ability to be really targeted. Okay. So I do not like to perform with it personally. Mm -hmm. I just feel like it blocks something that is a pretty big skill of mine naturally. But in terms of practice, it's really effective because I'm able to be super organized. I'm able to hear things a little bit more clearly. And so is that the better thing to have in an audition setting? You know, it'll be interesting. So I'm going to plan to play around with it and try. Well, and I mean, I would like advise without you or whoever is maybe thinking about experimenting with this kind of a thing, you got to find like high stress or high, um, (laughs) high pressure situations to practice and to test it out. Cause I, I remember I tried them once in college, my senior year of college, I was applying to Colburn and Juilliard and CIM, like all these incredible conservatories. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get into these schools unless I take beta blockers because I'm going to just totally mess up the audition. Like I that, I'd convinced mm-hmm. myself. So I told that to my teacher and he's like, okay, let's get you. And thankfully I, I was lucky to have a teacher who I could be very open and honest with about this stuff. And he said, okay, get a prescription. We'll try it in studio class. We'll see how it goes. I was like, great. So I got one tablet and I was so not present. Mm. I was playing a movement of Bach. You took the whole thing. I don't remember the size of it, but I was like, I don't even remember the movement of Bach. And I had like cut half of the first repeat and then just (gasps) jumped to the second half and then finished. And my teacher was like, and he was the only one who knew I'd taken it. And he was like, are you aware that you just cut off like half the movement? And I was standing on stage and I was like, "Mm, no. (laughs) And he goes, do you want to try it again? And I said, I don't think it'll be better. And it was the weirdest response because for me, I'm like a super people pleaser, type A obsessive person where if I made that kind of mistake, I'd be thinking about it for weeks and, you know, would be mortified. And I was so like, whatever, you know, (laughs) that everyone in the class was like, are you okay? So I, I tried it once and like, it didn't work. So I ended up not, I didn't think about messing with the dose. I just was like, okay, these don't work for me. Mm -hmm. Didn't take them, got into school. So it worked out okay. But then coming out of grad school and having like a big chunk of time where I hadn't had any lessons or performed for anyone or played, like I was like, okay, I'm going to go into these auditions. I'd like to know 
if taking a smaller dose is going to work better. So then I ended up sending emails to musicians in LA that I really admire having lessons with them. I would like experiment before the lesson with like timing on when I would take the dose when I would yes, how much yeah. of the dose I would take now I know like if it's something that I'm not that nervous for I'm either not going to take any or I'm going to take like a quarter of it or something yep for me personally auditions I cut my pill in half yeah and I, yeah. I also know that I need to take it far enough in advance so that it actually kicks in but yeah if that's something you're going to explore talk to your doctor and yep. Don't be afraid to experiment with it because it takes some figuring out. It's not, you know, what affects one person is going to not necessarily work for another. Yeah, absolutely. In all facets of the human experience, everyone's experience is different. Mm -hmm. So it's just great, though, that authenticity piece is being shared in a public way, because I think the more people who are willing to do that, the more people realize, oh, my experience is unique to me, too. And you can identify with the struggles of others. And you can also maybe learn more about your own in that process and, and more about what makes you you. And we just champion that kind of lifestyle on this podcast. So <laughs> I think that's so wonderful. I think just, yeah. I mean, you know, we're all classically trained. And I think that that institution that we have all come from is the complete opposite of open and honest and vulnerable. It is preaching mm -hmm. a whole different thing and it still is, which is mind boggling. But I think it is up to, you know, the kind of younger generation of classical musicians who have learned that we have to diversify and we have to be able to do a lot of different things and being open about our experiences and sometimes our failures is not going to hurt us and it's not going to damage our career. Because also mm. if there's not like opportunities for us anyway how is being honest about stuff gonna like i know get rid of those opportunities agreed yep so it's really like a rewiring of what's been kind of shoved down our throats for our whole lives mm -hmm. full body mm -hmm. nod yeah and anytime you can take away some of that shame that we all invariably just put on ourselves it's always gonna make things better especially for our job is to express ourselves if we're not fully expressing ourselves, then our music isn't everything that it can be. And yeah. you know, being authentic affects more than just your mental health. But Absolutely. That's very eloquently put. So what do you have coming up, Alice? Anything you want to plug? Oh, <laughs> boy. Okay, this is great. I have it all filmed. I just haven't finished editing it. It's all about practice marks and viola and violin hickeys. <gasps> oh, because, yeah, because I, I am like on the hunt for remedies and things to help when they get really irritated and inflamed, things to help maybe them heal. Oh. So yeah, that's that's gonna be the next video. Hopefully it'll be out. I don't know when this is coming out, but maybe it'll coincide. Cool. But yeah, that's <laughs> so it's gonna be a Hickey Helpers video on oh my, my God, YouTube channel. This summer, I'm gonna be playing at a festival in New York, Corogo Lake Music Festival. Basically just a bunch of awesome, talented people having fun for <laughs> several weeks in the summer making music. So I'll be there for a week. And I feel like my summer's pretty light, so I don't have a lot coming up right now, but hopefully as freelancers, that'll change. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it always tends to fill up, like right yeah. when you start to get worried about it. Yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> now I know what I'm doing. Completely, I know. And every time I'm like, okay, Let's not worry, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, if people want to find me, they can find me on Instagram at Alice Pink Viola. My YouTube channel is chronically musical. I have a TikTok for as long as that's a thing. I think that's <laughs> Alice.ping. But yeah, I love connecting with people either musically or health wise or whatever. So anybody can feel free to reach out. 
This has been uh-huh. so great. Thank you so much, Alice, for joining us. Truly, it's been it's Thank been a real you. treat. It's been such a Love pleasure. I hope we can do this again. And like, I'd love to learn more about you guys. I feel like I talked just. <laughs> Too, too much. <laughs> when you start a podcast, you can have a thought. Okay, yeah, okay. That's right. that sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. And thanks also to our season sponsors, ArcRest, Potter Violins, and Aria Lights. Another thanks to Alto Clef Gifts, where you can purchase viola-centric shirts and mugs and a variety of other fun items featuring our beloved Alto Clef. If you loved today's episode, consider writing us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want the chance to hang with us and have access to behind-the-scenes audio and video recordings, check out our new Patreon. Our episodes are edited and produced by Emily McMahon and Liz O'Hara Star. The Viola-centric theme music was written and produced by J.P. Wogeman and is performed by Steph and myself. Thanks again for listening. Let's talk soon.